0: From Ladakh culture to sobriety, Janet Hadley tells us the amazing story of her relationship with alcohol. When her husband got diagnosed with a brain tumour, this definitely led Janet to drink more than she wanted to and she began to realise it was a problem. Not only has she been sober for nearly three years, she has now set up her own business called Choose Sunrise. This is a fascinating story of sobriety, side hustles and passion. Welcome to the Anything Is Possible podcast. Today, I have with me a lady called Janet Hadley, who is the founder of a fascinating business called Choose Sunrise. I'm not gonna give you a big intro. I'm gonna introduce Janet just to give you the top line of what Choose, Choose Sunrise is and then why it came to be.
1: Thank you and thank you for having me today. Um, So yeah Choose Sunrise is a business that's founded on the belief that nobody should ever feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use and I'm on a personal mission to end the stigma that's associated with alcohol use disorder Um, and I'm bringing this message into the workplace um, creating alcohol safe workplaces.
0: So I mean it is a really fascinating subject because I grew up in kind of the ladette culture and alcohol has very much been a part of my life in terms of friends family work but i've noticed in my business a real shift through the generation that actually it's not that cool anymore particularly for the younger generation so I know that you're on a personal mission, which is what we're going to talk about, but it's actually quite a trend at the moment as well, isn't it? It really is. I know it's not often that I'm on
1: trend these days, so that's (laughs) quite exciting. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the sort of Gen Z, as uh, as they've been called, um, are entering the workplace. And what employers are finding is that, the kind of go to rewards of a free bar and not actually as appealing as they might have been um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So there's a lot of work to do here for employers to really get their heads around um, this change and to think about sober inclusive. Mm-hmm. sober inclusivity in yeah, the workplace yeah. um, because it's going to get more and more important yeah
0: oh 100 percent. i think um, for make events my company when we're organizing events now it's a it's as much of a consideration as the alcohol in the same way that over the years you know we've gone for all the different versions of milk and gluten-free and vegan like yeah. it's all about pro-choice and i think you know we should be able to offer people chocolate as well as chocolate protein balls and non-alcoholic wine as as much as wine so We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of that. We're going to talk about you actually setting up the business and what you're doing and your mission. But let's just rewind back a little bit. So, Janet, talk us through your 20s, 30s. What was your relationship with alcohol like at
1: that time? Sounds like it was a lot like yours, actually. So, um, (laughs) I grew up in the 90s. I was like a 90s ladette. um so I think I finished university in 1999 yeah eight or nine something like that I mean who can remember I was so drunk the whole time (laughs) um and I um like Zoe Ball and Sarah Cox were quite big and they were like you know downing pints was cool and keeping up with the boys was important I guess there was kind of like a a point in time where like women's rights for the first time had really truly become um solidified yeah and we were out there getting basically proving that we could do everything that boys could do yeah. and that included drinking them under the table.
0: And how did you feel about alcohol at the time? Did it Was it not like relevant to you or were you having moments where you're like oh cringe? Like?
1: Well I think we all had the cringe moments but um, because we did all have them and I guess you know you, you end up in a bubble of people who yeah, are yeah, similar yeah, to yeah. you don't you? I'm sure there were other people around who didn't drink excessively but I didn't know any of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you attract people to you who were doing the the same thing, and you know, I I was really shy as a child, and I think when I discovered alcohol, it just gave me this like massive confidence yeah, boost, and I yeah. just fell in love with alcohol. Yeah, I yeah. really did. I, I enjoyed myself, and yeah. I enjoyed drinking it, and I didn't see anything dangerous about it at all.
0: And then you um, obviously go through uni, party culture and all of that and then you met your husband. What, yeah. When was that?
1: Well actually that was at university oh. so I know we've been together forever. Mm. I was only 20 and oh. I'm 45 now oh. <laughs> so how sad is that? But
0: <laughs> so when you kind of got out of that party mode then together what was your as a couple what yeah. was your relationship with alcohol like?
1: Yeah so we kind of um, we used to go out drinking right up until really when we had children. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was twenty-seven when I gave birth to triplets, which was a, a shock. I mean, I did I did know when I was pregnant, yeah, but you know, yeah. it was a it was a really big shock. Yeah, because um, twenty-seven's not that young to have a child, but it's quite young to have three.
0: Yeah, in um, one go. Yeah, in <laughs>
1: one go. So you know, that was um, obviously a completely life changing experience, yeah. and. Um, I didn't drink when I was pregnant and I didn't have any issues with that actually. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't really miss it. I I felt sick a lot. Um, so I don't think I really had like any kind of capital P problem with alcohol at that stage in my life. Um, but what I I can remember, the first time we had a bottle of wine at home. So the girls must've been about maybe seven or eight months old and they'd slept through. Um, and we'd had a full night's sleep and then we were watching The X Factor, of course, Mm -hmm. and we shared this bottle of wine and it was like, oh, I remember alcohol, you know. And I think we just really sort of slipped into the habit of sharing bottles of wine and then having one each and, you know, like that became like our Friday, Saturday nights. and. You know, all that kind of mummy wine culture? Yeah, that I yeah. really fell into that in quite a big way. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: So you'd share a bottle of wine or have a bottle of wine with your husband maybe Friday, Saturday, and then would you maybe, if you did get any time to yourself with the girls, was that kind of like a few glasses of wine, a bottle of Prosecco? Yeah,
1: yeah. If I went out with my friends, we'd definitely have um, a couple of, a few drinks, quite yeah. a few drinks yeah. actually. You know, when the girls were young, um, I drank heavily from time to time, I yeah. would say. Yeah, Um, And then it kind of sort of grew from there really. So um, obviously as children grow older, they become a little bit easier to look after in some ways. And I was getting a full night's sleep and everything. Um, And I think at some point we probably started drinking on Thursdays as well as Fridays and Saturdays. can't quite remember when that happened. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it would just be It it never felt like a problem because it's just what people do or, you know, and you have a bad day at work, you might have a drink on a Tuesday. You know, Um, it it never felt like something that was ever going to be a problem for me. Yeah.
0: okay. And then um, come like 2018, you've been with your husband. How long at that point then? Um... 20 years? Yeah,
1: 20 years, yeah. Wow, so
0: three three children, lovely marriage, 2018, tell us what happened.
1: Yeah, so um, I was absolutely devastated by the diagnosis of my husband's brain tumour, which really did hit me out of nowhere. Um, It was it was the biggest shock I think I've ever had and that includes having triplets you know yeah and how did you
0: find out what
1: um so what actually happened was um he had a seizure in the night and um you know uh, that was quite a big trauma Uh in some ways um the ambulance crew came um then after that he kind of were sent for loads of different tests and everything came back as normal. And the very last test that they did was an MRI scan. And the doctor even said, he said, look, we're not going to find anything. We just need to do it. And then that'll be the end of this. So like a one off. Yeah. It's just, yeah, apparently something like one in 10 people has a a, a seizure at some point for no apparent reason. So we just didn't worry about it. Um, And then on the day of his results, I was due to be over in Manchester um, and I said, do you want me to come with you? You know, I'll stay here if you want. And he was like, no, go, you go to work. Yeah. Um, And I had this meeting at work um, in the co-op and I was presenting and my phone rang and I red buttoned my husband and then it rang straight away again and I said, I'm going to have to take this and yeah. I went outside. And as soon as I put the phone to my ear, I knew... Because I could just hear him crying. Like oh, I could hear, like, I could just tell. I knew, I knew that he had a brain okay, tumour. It was, yeah. And I can still picture the scene. There was all these blue chairs and it all just sort of started swimming yeah. a bit. And everything went like brighter. It was a really weird experience.
0: And what was he told at that point of what kind of brain tumour it was and how it was going to affect him?
1: Yeah, so um we didn't. You don't know until you basically have either an operation or a biopsy. So they have to get some of the tumour tissue and yeah. send it off for testing. So he, had, he was rushed in for an operation within a week and the test results came back and they were um, low grade. So that yeah. was really good news. So, and for, the,
0: for those that don't know, what does low-grade mean? It
1: means that you can probably live with this yes. brain tumour for the rest of your yeah. life and you're going to be quite unlucky for it to be the thing that kills you. Yeah. So, you know, you monitor it and you go back to normal and you hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. we were just, oh, you know, it was felt like it was all over, really. Hardly any
0: time to process, it. So yeah. Really, from like, he's told he has an operation. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So he was put on to monitoring and then 12 weeks later... Um, he had his first scan and the tumour had grown back and it was bigger than it had been in the first place. In in what time frame was that? 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So basically what they said is the, you know, we've misdiagnosed it and it it can't be low grade to have grown at that (sighs) speed. So he went back in for a second operation and actually that was more successful and um, they got most of the tumour out but it did leave him having to learn to walk again mm-hmm. and having to learn to use his right hand again and with the worst short-term memory of anyone <laughs> walking this planet yeah, <laughs> but <yeah>. you know
0: <laughs> and you said as well and did this happen at this point that his career essentially he was a code yeah he right? was like a yeah. pro-
1: computer programmer yeah and he just um hasn't been able to return to that because well like short-term memory yeah. and Um, he gets like what they call cognitive fatigue where you just get very tired very quickly yeah Yeah.
0: so this is 2018 so how do you both as a couple and as a family navigate what your future is going to look like what was your strategy yeah
1: um I mean the the saddest thing I suppose about it is that um We've always talked about what we were going to do when we retire. Even when I was twenty, like yeah. we've always had this retirement plan.
0: Really? Um, yeah.
1: And we're going to sell up, and we're going to have um, just cash in the bank, and we're going to travel the world, and we like when we went traveling, we kept finding places that we might go when yeah, we retire, yeah, and yeah. all this like just plans. You know, we yeah. talk about it all the time, and that just stopped. Like we don't talk about it really? anymore because we know he's not going to get old. Yeah. We know that he won't grow old, yeah. and when that tumor comes back you know, it's yeah, it's high grade and it's 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 it's, it's he's terminally ill. Yeah. So um the way that we cope with it I think is that we live for today. Yeah. Um we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the future. Yeah. Um yeah. and in some ways that can be really difficult, but in other ways it's actually incredibly liberating yeah. to be really present every single day and to make the most
0: of it that's actually funny she say that there's a a woman that i follow called bozomo saint john she's a very high up marketing director in the u.s she's been marketing director for uber um and her husband unfortunately did did pass away it was cancer but um she said that when he was given his his prognosis they used to wake up every day and say what shall we do today (laughs) and they would do whatever popped into their mind which i thought was lovely. So at that point though um was really for you wasn't it the realization that what you thought was going to be wasn't and what was wasn't yeah yeah, yeah. Was, it was
1: like a grieving process yes. really yeah. um and i think for me what i what happened really was that after that second operation when he he was he went to like a rehab center to learn to walk again yeah. and he was in inpatient for more than 12 weeks yeah. i think it and was 14 girls yeah as well. Yeah, I was juggling a lot, and yeah. I ended up um, every morning I'd wake up with a bit of a hangover, like a bit of a sore head. And I think I'm not going to drink tonight. Yeah, and I'd get through like all the hospital visits and taking the girls to school and then taking them to see their dad after school and. We were also having our house extended yeah. at the time. It was just, like, absolute chaos. My life was just so difficult. Yeah. Um, I'd get to the end of it and I'd just be like, oh, I'm going to have to have a drink. Yeah. Like, I just need one. Yeah. Um, And then it just got to the point where I was drinking, like, nearly a bottle of wine nearly every night. Yeah. And it was just... I just knew that this was wrong. Yeah. And that I needed to do something about it.
0: It's almost like you're trying to prescribe yourself self-care yeah. and self-love but yes. you haven't actually got time to do that in the right way so the the nearest gratification is that yeah. oh, you oh yeah know. yeah and, and and how long did that go on for really until you kind of went mm, hang on a minute this isn't
1: well I kind of had a few attempts at ditching the booze so well first of all I didn't want to ditch booze I wanted to moderate yeah so I wanted to cut down and I wanted to be like a normal drinker who didn't have to finish the bottle. Yeah, yeah. So I tried... I mean, I just tried using willpower and that, you know, it'd work for a while and yeah. then it'd just creep back up again. Yeah. Um, I tried cutting out wine and just drinking gin. Yeah. And what would happen is I'd have like two gin and tonics. I don't really like gin. So <laughs> I'd have two gin and tonics and I wouldn't enjoy them. But because alcohol kind of switches off your decision making, yeah. I'd then just walk to the little Tesco on the corner and buy a bottle of wine. Yes. They'd be like, oh, it sounds like a good idea now I've had two gins. Yeah. So that didn't work. Um, I tried... Saying we'll have no alcohol in the house and I'll only ever a drink if I go out. Yeah. And then I'd be like, does anyone fancy eating out tonight? Yeah. Um, because yeah. I'd be like, oh, you know, then I can have a drink. Yeah. And it just, it didn't matter what I did, just kept coming back. So I and actually... And how did you
0: feel about yourself at that point? Like, were you waking up the next day annoyed with yourself? Yeah,
1: I was yeah. actually... I, Like I didn't, it's not like every single time I drank, I got obliterated, but it was happening more than I wanted it to. And I wasn't happy with the wasted weekends and the hangovers were getting worse. And um, I just felt like, I felt like it it was harming me physically and mentally. I could tell it was harming me, but I didn't know how to deal with life without it. Yeah. Actually.
0: Yeah. And how long to this point went? You know, when you had this Mm. kind of the final realisation from the diagnosis, how long was that time period, would you say?
1: It was two years. Yeah. Yeah, it was two years of trying to moderate. Yeah. And within that time period, I reached out for help to my workplace employee assistance programme. Yeah. um, Which is very, very good at co-op. But I was told that I couldn't see the counsellor I wanted to see. Yeah. um, Because he was classed as a rehab counsellor. I'd found a specialist alcohol counsellor. Um, and rehab isn't covered. And I was like, I don't need rehab. I just want this person to help me. And they were like, no, you can see a general counsellor, which I did. And in the first session I had with her, she told me how much she drank, which was way more than I was drinking, (gasps) and told me not to worry. And it was completely normal to drink to forget in my situation. So I skipped off out of that thinking, Thinking, oh,
0: I've got, I've had a pass. (laughs) I'm totally fine. Yeah, I was like, I'm fine.
1: And it kept me stuck. It kept me stuck for a long time. That,
0: Um,
1: And I'm not suggesting that I'm holding co-op to account for the fact that that happened to me. But I think it's an unintended consequence of, you know, not actually really robustly kicking the tyres on what you're offering. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah,
0: And during this time period, and then we will get on to kind of your journey to to sobriety, had anyone mentioned to you, friends or family, like, Janet, you know, do you think you should be having that glass of wine? Had Um, anyone picked up on it?
1: Interesting you say that because one of the first things that my husband said to me after his diagnosis, like, one of the first things that came out of his mouth was promise me that after I die, you won't become an alcoholic.
0: Really? Yeah. So does that mean then he, you think that he'd... Mind you, you were drinking together, yeah. weren't you? But do you think he would He probably knew as well yeah. it was too much?
1: Yeah, and he, there's look, there's a history of alcoholism on his side of the family. Right. And he was, at the time, a really heavy drinker. Um, yeah. I think he could see it in both of us, yeah. actually. Yeah. And because what people don't realise is that the happy social drinker can become um, an alcoholic alcohol dependent drinker very quickly after a big trauma oh
0: I can imagine yeah absolutely like it's your crutch
1: yeah right and you
0: you know there's that there is that percentage of it you enjoy until it goes over over the edge yeah so you got to this point where you knew it was harming you mentally Mm -hmm. and physically and I guess as well you know was it hard to understand because you would have been depressed or certainly very very sad with what was happening with your husband but was it hard to distinguish those feelings when they were mixed with alcohol would you say
1: um yeah I think what I recognize now is that it was grief grief and and bereavement for the life I thought we were going to have um and then they call it a living loss where you're you're grieving for someone who is still here um so it's a very strange but recognized phenomenon um and I think alcohol was preventing me from processing yes things yeah um now that I'm like coming up to three years sober I realize that it's so like what happens when you get sober is that you just have to face up to things so yes. you don't push them down with alcohol anymore yeah. and you have to feel all the feelings in fact there's a saying the worst thing about stopping drinking alcohol is that you have to feel all the feelings but yeah. the best thing about stopping drinking alcohol is that you can feel all the yeah. feelings so
0: it, that's quite funny because when I came out of um, a like really long-term relationship like 12 years to like towards the end I was like I need to stop drinking because I can't make a decision when yes. alcohol's involved and I actually did five months I wasn't um I was drinking in a different way, probably just like maybe binge drinking when I go out because I was sad or whatever. But it got to, yeah, and I was like, right, if I'm going to make a decision then I need Mm to be, Clear-headed, yep. and I didn't drink for five months. I, I hadn't. It, it, there was never an intention for, yeah. to stop, but it just allowed me to get through that period yeah. thinking clearly yes. and properly. Yeah. And there's a sense of euphoria around that as yeah, well. Like, and also, you, mm. you're quite proud of yourself that yeah. every you are feeling every feeling because actually it's easier yeah. to deal with it than the yeah. bottling it up. So. Okay so you tell us how so you were like was it one day that you went that's it or was it a gradual Um
1: thing? It was one day yeah it was actually it was one day when I woke up with a hangover and the night before um, one of my daughters had asked me to do something um, special with her, and I'd actually said no um, because I just really wanted to drink yeah. um, and I woke up the next morning and I just thought this is not right yeah. like I can't like i need to be a better mum and yeah. i need to be a better person and i that that for me was like a real tipping point yeah. i was like that can't happen again so i phoned the alcohol counselor who i wanted to see in the first place yeah. and just paid for it which yeah. wasn't even that expensive don't know why i didn't do that earlier yeah. um And it's the best decision I ever made. So I worked with him for, he said to me, I said, oh, you know, I want to cut down. I don't want to stop. And he said really gently, he said, you know, I normally work with a 12-week period of sobriety. And then at the end of that, you can go back to drinking. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds okay. So I'll do 12 weeks. But when you do 12 weeks and you do the work in therapy, there's no way that you're ever, ever going to want to drink again. And he knew that. But he said, you "Didn't know, tell you that." Yeah, if I tell you that, yeah. then you know you won't believe me. So yeah, it was a really good way to do it.
0: So there's a couple of interesting things there for me. So I think that that choice, like with, like you say, with your daughter who wants you to do something, it's almost like when the 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 pain of staying where you are, yeah, outweighs the pleasure of staying where you are. That's yes. when you make the choice, yes. and it has to be you. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right because humans are motivated by pain and pleasure. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that was pain for me that morning. I was like, no. That's that's painful yeah. that I've made that decision. Yeah, yeah.
0: And before we get into the steps, the the, the counselor that you did have, did he apply the AA um, principles? Because I know you've talked about you, and we're going to talk more about this. You weren't necessarily alcoholic, but you were in the grey area.
1: That's right. Yeah, and it's not a it's not at all based on AA. Yeah. Um. I mean, I know that AA helps millions of people, but it's not for everyone. Um. Yeah. And I think. That has moved on a lot since the yes. AA twelve steps were put together, and that there are more positive ways to help yeah. people. Actually, yeah. um, so for me, stand like labeling yourself as an alcoholic is not a good way no. to to help people recover. Yeah. Um, in fact, I I always say to people, I, I stopped smoking in my twenties, and yeah. I'm not a smokeaholic. Yeah. So. I stopped drinking in my 40s. Why yeah. does that make me an alcoholic? Yeah,
0: yeah. And do you, before we get onto the recovery, it just interestingly popped into my head, do you think there was any, <laughs> like, deep, dark root from your childhood, why you drank, or li- was it literally a societal thing where that's how you grew up in your I, teens and early
1: yeah, 20s? I think a combination of um, society, um, always being surrounded by alcohol yeah. in childhood, and marketing, Yeah, Um because the... the Big booze companies definitely marketed to women in the 90s, yeah. 110%. Yeah. Um, and I think I fell foul of that with hindsight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think... And and then a trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, tell us about... So, this is like, what, t- mid-2020 when you start yeah. to look up... Yeah, it was June
1: 2020 yeah. I stopped. June the 26th, 2020 Yay. was my last drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> or was that day one of not drinking? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I... Um, Obviously, working with this counselor was really helpful for me. But what the other things that I did were, I connected with people in like the sober community. Yeah, Um, I started listening to podcasts and I started reading. And actually, in some ways, I do think that meeting like-minded people and having that support network around me was just as just as important if not even more important than the counselling and that stayed so you know you do Mm. the counselling for 12 weeks but that support network and people that I've met have stayed with me for years and I I, I now have like a community of my own I've built you know built my own one and it's just honestly it's just oh it's magical what happens when people come together with you know, they could be from any walk of life and you might not have anything in common apart from the fact that you've stopped drinking. But it's, you build these really close
0: friendships. It's interesting. So what was, how can I put this? When was it, when, how long till you didn't, I mean, maybe you still do, but you Mm. didn't think about it. It wasn't something you were trying to resist. There wasn't a compulsion and urge. How long did that take? Um somewhere in that 12 weeks
1: i think really the switch happened wow. yeah i think so um because i don't think that you can maintain um not drinking by sheer willpower for very long at all yeah um and it's like a switch in your head you suddenly realize that um the key to it is to create a life that you don't want to escape from wow. and that if you put enough good stuff in Mm -hmm. um like you were saying earlier about like the self-care and the self-soothing and better more healthy habits that can help you to do that you just realize you don't need to drink anymore and then um thought of actually waking up with a hangover just feels so like like that's like that's like self-harm that's horrible like I can't imagine doing that to myself I don't want ever ever to do that to myself ever again so it's not like um it's not like I have to resist having a drink.
0: Because you've created a life that you want to step into every morning. Exactly.
1: I wake up I wake up in the morning and I'm like, come on, yeah. let's go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which really brings us nicely to the name <laughs> of your business, Choose Sunrise. So just to give our readers um, some context, so Janet and I actually met because my company, Make Events, works with the wonderful co-op and uh, Janet is head of supplier engagement there and that's how we connected. Um, and... Um, but as well as having triplets um, <laughs> and um, this uh, really serious job, you decided to create a side hustle. I, I guess. I did. Yeah. So tell us what was the day that you thought, "Hang on, I'm going to do something with this."
1: Yeah, I know. It must be a little bit crazy. I've got <laughs> it's just. I've got so much energy now that I don't drink. Yeah. I've <laughs> got to put it somewhere. But um, so what happened was um, I was reflecting back on what had happened when I asked for help at the co-op and that I hadn't been able to get the help that I needed and yeah. so I started engaging with the wellbeing team at the co-op who have yeah. been brilliant by yeah. the way and we are fixing that um yeah. so you know that's good news and we started looking at other things as well so we started looking at policies yeah. um and we started looking at things like the bullying and harassment policy and whether we could include sober shaming in that And we started looking at workplace events and whether or not we had enough really respectful alcohol-free options in there. And then I started to do some um, sharing of my story because Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about all the things that had stopped me asking for help. And probably the biggest one was telling people because I thought... as soon as I tell people, and this still happens now, if yeah. I tell people I don't drink, they have this moment of, great, this, you can see the thought almost going across their face of, yeah. oh, is she an alcoholic? Yeah. And it's that stigma of um, alcoholism that I wanted to tackle. Yeah. And I thought about other subjects that have been stigmatised, like mental health yeah. and even menopause more recently. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: I thought about all the brilliant work that employers have done to reduce that stigma. And I just thought there's a gap here. Yeah. So I started doing workplace events where I'd share my story and people started coming to me and asking for help with their yeah. own alcohol use. So I felt a little bit out of my depth, actually. And I yeah. went and did some, in my own time and with my own money, I yeah. did some training and I became a sober coach and I've become um, an NLP practitioner. Amazing. Um, so I did um, my sober coaching with Janie Lee Grace, who was brilliant, and um, NLP practitioner. You can do lots of different places. But I did mine with Beyond NLP. Um, and that's given me the skills that I needed to help the people um, who were coming to me. And then I started putting it together into like a digital program so that I could help more people. Um, And it kind of became a sober coaching business. Um, But the next step for me now is to um, get this message into the workplace into yeah. more and I want to take all of the brilliant work that I've done with co-op yeah. and package it up and bring it to other employers yeah. so it's already tried and tested in a big big corporation yeah. it's had a huge impact we have 70 people in our head office workplace sober support group that I run <gasps> like 70 people yeah. I was expecting about 15. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, someone told me yesterday that I'd saved their life, which, I mean, I I did say, don't be so melodramatic. Uh, But, you know, isn't that interesting that that's someone's, you know, perception of what a difference it's made to them in the workplace? And I just think that there's... I don't think that there's very many HR directors um, who see that it's a need. But I think if they allowed the possibility of it and for me to come in and just put the feelers out and set it up and see who comes along I think they might be a bit shocked at how and much many. people want to talk about this
0: and from a you know if you want to look at it from a real business financial standpoint we all know that when we have a hangover our work is not yeah. tip top so from a productivity point yeah. of view for HRs and L&D departments to to recognise this Yeah. but I'm really interested because knowing the co-op it's a massive organisation you know you're heading up a department so how where did the skills come from to you know I'd love to know because I think there's a lot of people that will be listening that have a side hustle or want to set up something in whatever arena that is. What were the steps? Was it like I thought of a name, I got a website? Like, what were the steps?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it started off as um, a sober coaching business, so it didn't really have a name, it was just my name. Yeah. So the first um, domain that I bought was janethadley.co.uk. Always yeah. um, oh, useful to keep, though, Janet, always. Yeah, you know? yeah, yep, <laughs> still have a few little bits and bobs on there, but um, and then. Um, I really wanted to to build this brand. I wanted to build this digital product that I'd made is called 101 Days to Sober and I wanted to incorporate that in. Um, And I'd got some quotes for people to kind of make me logos and things like that. And then I bumped into someone who I haven't seen for literally 20 years who used used to work with her at Asda and she used to design packaging for asda oh, wow. and she now has her own studio yeah and she was like look it's too small the job for my studio but i've got a really young um like up-and-coming superstar designer yeah. who'll do it for you for yeah. hardly anything and yeah. i was like oh my god that's amazing so i've got all my beautiful branding oh. like my brand guidelines are exactly the same layout that i used to have as a buyer at asda oh, <laughs> and
0: i'm like, wow. yeah. Yeah, like oh
1: yeah. yeah i got yeah i did get a very good bargain and so say, all of I- that was really easy <laughs> i
0: love to talk facts and figures because yeah. i always <laughs> think it's really interesting for people listening so what kind of investment has it taken you to get it to where it is now um
1: yeah i i made a couple of mistakes so um i've probably spent about four thousand yeah. pounds um and, and i could have done it for two <laughs> um but- because i've pro- i've definitely the tech is a big learning for me yeah. Um so the software that I've bought now is like under a thousand dollars a year. Tell me
0: about that. Do you want to give it a little plug? Because you yeah. have you've like, like I mean I said to you, I've noticed from being on the receiving end of all your like comms that it looks super professional. It's
1: just so easy and yeah. everything can be automated. So yeah. it's called Gold Star Pro. Yeah. Um and I can send you a link to put into yeah. the show notes. Yeah. Um because I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about my software mistakes and what I've learned and the money I've wasted. Um, But this this software has been amazing and I've got all of my digital content in there and then I've also got all of my crm and my email lists and my website's in there and my social media scheduling is in there and my survey that I've just created called house how alcohol safe is your workplace yeah. that's all in there so it's yeah it's just brilliant
0: and for our listeners like you were not like this is not what you do today today no. is it so you've <laughs> you know at at 40 at the time 43 44 you've like yeah. taught yourself all these new skills
1: yeah I guess I mean having that commercial corporate background and being a buyer um you know I've got a lot of the
0: the thinking yeah Yeah. I've
1: got like the I suppose it is quite an entrepreneurial role within a big corporation but my goodness it's so different when you're on your own I've got no one to delegate to and it's like everything is down to me and you know it feels very different but I'm I'm just enjoying it so much and it's such rewarding work yeah um and you know I've made that um, initial investment back. Um, so this year, we can actually make some money.
0: That's <laughs> unbelievable. So let like, talk to us yeah. about that. So how's it become um, revenue generating for you? Yeah,
1: so the main way that I've um, generated revenue has been through um, one-to-one coaching yeah. so far. So I yeah. sell packages um, called, like I said, 101 Days yeah. to Sober, and you can buy a package that has either six or 12 one-to-one coaching yeah. sessions with me alongside all of the digital content. Yeah. And that's the main product yeah. that I've been successful in. Selling
0: and what kind of um, investment is that? Because there might be somebody listening, think you know, that this is making them think, I, you know, yeah. I recognize a bit of me in this, yeah. What... So,
1: for six sessions and the program, it's 750, pounds yeah, and yeah. then for the 12, it's like 1224, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's a funny number, that oh, one, brilliant. but yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I love doing it as well. Yeah. I really love yeah. doing it. And then I've got um, a sober socials group as well for people who are already sober. Yeah. So they don't need all that kind the of coaching. coaching. And that's um, really quite good value. It's £12 a month yeah. and you get access to uh, like all of the talks that I've done yeah. um, on different topics. Things like your first sober Christmas or like yeah, going yeah. on holiday, like yeah. in, an all-inclusive holiday sober. Um, stopping drinking when your partner doesn't there's loads of stuff in there that you can access and then we have a get together on zoom every month and we're actually meeting up um in real life next week so that's exciting
0: oh wow Mm. i think the really interesting thing is here that this is about you've i mean i know that you love your your day-to-day job but you've kind of found this passion that isn't Really about money. It's great that it's making money now, but that wasn't the reason that yeah. you do it. And you read any kind of self-help book, and it's all about like when you suddenly do the thing that likes you up. Yeah, the money comes later. Yeah. would yeah. you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would actually because um, I mean I've done a lot of free of charge work to get to a point where I feel confident enough to charge. Yeah. And I've tr- like I say I've tried and tested all this stuff at the co-op that I now feel confident enough to go and do in another organization. Yeah. So you know I must have put. It, Like, to get back to zero, when you think I could have just done, like, literally nothing and been at the same point financially, like, that is insane to have done that much work to get to zero. Um, So, yeah, it, it... it's all been purely driven out of passion yeah. and wanting to help yeah. people wanting to make a difference in the world and wanting to end this horrible stigma that yeah. people who get into trouble with alcohol do not
0: deserve yeah yeah so just go back to kind of the emotional side of it have, since being sober have you actually had to deal with the grief and the feelings around what may or may not be for you and your husband has has that been a journey for you as well
1: yeah, definitely. Um, it feels like when you first get sober, I think everything is raw, mm-hmm. like everything. And it's like you have to kind of deal with things as an adult <laughs> yeah. for the first time, yeah. which is horrible and scary. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely been, it's not all been plain sailing, yeah. without a doubt. You know, I've had moments of just feeling completely overwhelmed with grief. Um I've had, you know, I stepped down from a promotion at work mm-hmm. um because I just I just felt that I was giving too much of my headspace to it mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. so I stepped down into I mean I'm still in a really senior role but I just stepped down into something that I felt I could do um a really really good job of and be really present at home with my husband and my children and run a business so it was just a step too far being promoted. (laughs) I
0: think grief's an interesting topic and something Mm -hmm. that we are addressing at the Anything is Possible conference that grief comes in many forms and it, it can come in you know the natural bereavement that we would expect with parents or we lose a friend or or you know Sean Lord that's in series one loses a leg. That's a grieving yeah. process yeah. for a life that you're not going to have, and it's it's almost like a complex grief, isn't it? Yeah. I would say. Yeah, and that's, it is. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. It is yeah. a complex grief, and it's not it's not a one dimensional thing. It's like a, 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 a it's like a cloud almost. You know, it's it moves and it shifts and it yeah. changes shape, and it's different on different yeah. days. Some days the cloud is. Or white and fluffy and it's okay and some days it's really black and grey and quite ominous um yeah can
0: you say that you this phrase that I've heard use that is you know living this whole life without a whole heart would that sum things up to you like what is there a missing piece in this you know I know he's here is with you and you're, you're living your life together but like how do how do you I'm always really fascinated with how do you live in, you know, and have the happiest and be the happiest you can when you've got this, you know, essentially yeah, this this yeah. this heavy weight, this grief?
1: Yeah, it's I don't feel like I identify with that particular phrase. For me, something has changed permanently though, yeah. um that will never ever be able to go back. Mm-mm. Um it's it's more like um it feels more like a, a rawness like an edge to life that wasn't there before, like life was very comfortable and I had a lot of security, like nothing really bad had ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just kind of assumed that nothing ever would. And then when something like that happens, you just feel a bit less trusting of 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 the world, the universe somehow, and you just feel—I don't know—I feel a bit more wary. Yeah, somehow, yeah, Yeah. bruised
0: and battered. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's—it is really, really exciting. So. You've got a podcast now. I have, yes. Which is called... It's called
1: Professional Drinkers from Choose Sunrise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And tell us about that because people, where can they find it? Who are your guests?
1: So you can find it anywhere that you get your podcast. So it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on Anchor FM, so you can find it easily. Um, And... The whole podcast is about alcohol culture in the workplace. Yeah. Um, so I interview people who've got opinions on this. So it could be anyone from an HR professional through to someone who's had a really good or a really bad experience yeah. in the workplace. Um, I've interviewed people who organise sober friendly events. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, it's really all about the case for change yeah. in the workplace um, yeah. and it, it it's really nice when I hear from progressive employers who are doing really good work in this yeah. space so it's not all about the disaster stories it's some of it's about you know yeah. brilliant um, best best practice stories as yeah. well um so and I'm loving doing the podcast I've met some really interesting people Such good
0: fun, it, isn't it is I love it I love it <laughs> <laughs> so on to a few more fun things let's find out um, for people that are sober, curious, or yep. sober, um, in your opinion, um, what is the nicest alternative to a champagne in this? Oh, that's
1: easy, Go easy, on. easy. So it is naughty yes. from Thompson and Scott. Yeah, it is the the only one that I would consider yeah. having on my Christmas table now. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: okay. And what about how are wines doing? Because wine seems to be the hardest thing to recommend. getting better. Yeah, getting better, what definitely.
1: Would you then? Um, so the for a red. Yeah. There's one called, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, it's called Win-E, like okay. the word wine with a dash in it. Um, and it's the Tempranillo that is aged in oak barrels for wow. 12 months, and it tastes of oaky, red winey loveliness. Oh, and it's right. brilliant. Let's it's really good. let put that in the show notes, yeah. actually. Yeah. No one seems to know about that one. No, I might, um, tr- I might try that. Yeah. Um, I didn't really drink white wine too much, so I'm not super yeah. clear on that but um people drink the um, mckewens from the supermarket and seem to enjoy the, the yeah. you know the Sauvignons um from that yeah so yeah they are getting better um but i do think that in some ways when you switch to alcohol free it helps to switch to something you didn't drink the alcohol version of yeah if yeah. you see what i mean yeah, so it doesn't yeah. taste as you're not comparing it so yeah. much
0: yeah I believe there's some nice, um, like, a nice way to make a fake Aperol spritz as oh, well. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a
1: company called Anon, A-N-O-N, yeah. and they do, um, I don't know what they call it, but it's, you know, yeah. you can tell from looking at it what it is. Yeah. Uh, that's very, very good. Yeah. Um, and they did a, oh, they did an amazing product at Christmas. They did this uh, Christmas pudding the cure, but alcohol-free. Yeah. And I... I was drinking that with fresh cream oh Oh, so so naughty (laughs) (laughs) but really really good yeah
0: so I guess like one of the messages that we love to instill in people anything is possible is that anything is possible at any age you started a business you know mid-40s yeah um has it inspired you like for the decades to come and what you could do as well yeah
1: definitely 100% I mean co-op have been so supportive um allowing me to you know get this up and running um while still doing my day job, you know, I have <laughs> I've put a lot of hours in out of yeah, hours, I can yeah. tell you, I really have. Um, eventually, I would love to get to a point where I've got enough other really progressive employers who want to invest in this that I can actually leave the co op and just work full time yeah. in creating alcohol safe workplaces yeah. um, and putting on alcohol free events with the company that I'm partnering with and just having. The time of my life in the yeah. alcohol free community. Yeah. That's what I want to do.
0: So, for people listening that might be working for a company that might find that interesting, where can they find you?
1: Yes, yeah, so they can easily find me on LinkedIn, Janet yeah. Hadley, um, and you can also find my website, choose sunrise.co.uk. And if you just head to the HR section, you can book an appointment online, you can email me, you can sign up for free resources, yeah. all sorts of things. And soon you'll be able to do the survey, which I've just been building today yeah, yeah. Um, called How Alcohol Safe Is Your Workplace? which Brilliant. is uh, a good starting point for anyone who's in HR.
0: Well, Jana, I'm so glad to have met you and with what we're trying to do with Anything Is Possible, we've talked about, you know, things that we can do together in the workplace. I'm really excited to have met you and come on this journey with you. Um, before we finish today, and um, the podcast is called Anything Is Possible. What does Anything Is Possible mean to you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, anything Is Possible to me means dream big. It means... Take the roof off and mm-hmm. um, try to set aside all of the things, like all of the things that you think to yourself that are actually are limiting beliefs, like I can't, I always, I must, I never. Catch yourself thinking those things and really, like, I always say, take that thought to court. So, I love it. so if you say, I can't leave my job because. Uh, you know I will never earn enough money if I leave my job like according to whom Mm -hmm. what is the evidence for that so nobody has ever been able to leave their job in their mid-40s and make enough money out of a business is that really true of course it's not some people can so you know take the thought to court test it it's probably not true
0: <laughs> I love that I saw a quote the other day and it was something along those lines and it was like the chances of it actually ruin your life is very unlikely yeah, exactly. you know we, yeah. you know, you, you find a way don't you and if yeah. that way is not right you find another way so yeah. um, I'm really happy to have met you <laughs> much Likewise. much love to your family as thank well you. and I hope that your husband is doing well at the moment and um, here's a sober future and um, the growing passion of your business as well thank oh, you thank you so much <laughs> Just a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a little review for what you think of our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a second and may seem like a small thing, but it helps us rank in the podcast charts, find new listeners and reach even more amazing guests. So with your review, you're actually helping to improve the Anything Is Possible show. (laughs)